I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Annie Pearl. Annie Pearl is what happens when a girl obsessed with all things knitting combines her love of fabric, sewing, and shiny things. At AnniePearl.etsy.com, you'll find whimsical stitch markers, project bags of all kinds, and tote bags made by a knitter with knitters in mind. So check it all out at AnniePearl.etsy.com. Okay, so let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 118 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm happy to be here at the mic. I'm using some new recording equipment. So it's uh, first flight, the maiden voyage here. And actually, just the intro and exit will be the new equipment. I'll have an after show that'll be talking a little bit about my trip that's coming up. I'm headed out Thursday to the Conference for Creative Entrepreneurs. So I'll be out in Seattle for the weekend. And um, I'd love to meet some of you Seattle listeners. So follow me on Twitter and check out the website if you're looking to find out where I'll be this weekend. I'd love to meet you. Okay, so let's get to the real reason why you're listening here. I'm really excited to bring you an interview with Sue Hausman. And Sue has a long career in sewing. I kind of think of her in a way as kind of like the Carol Duvall of sewing. She focused on sewing where Carol did a bunch of crafts. And I've interviewed Carol. And if you like that interview, I think you're going to really like this interview with Sue Hausman. She's been the host of America Sews. This was a show on PBS. It was broadcast nationally here in the United States. And her real method of was an mission was really to teach people easy ways to sew to try to get a person who does not know anything about sewing through the steps of a project to complete the project and feel good about what they're doing a little background on sue she is 67 years old and she lives in Westlake, Ohio. And the reason why I'm interviewing Sue right now is because she is going to be in West Michigan. She's going to be here on August 21st. Her visit here is being sponsored by Smith Owens Sewing and Quilting Center, which is here in Grand Rapids. And if you're interested in tickets, you can call Smith Owen at 616-361-5484. This is going to be a day-long workshop from 10 to 4 on August 21st and she's going to be at the Comfort Inn Suites in Comstock Park and the cost is $40 and that includes lunch. All right folks settle in with the project and we'll pick up with Sue talking about her sewing history. I started sewing when I was 10 and I have to say that one of the one of the things I always share with people who want to sew with young people today is that it's different and sewing has changed and nobody sews because they have to and People today don't want to do drudgery sewing. They want to do fun sewing. And quilting is very big. But what I find with young people is that they want to, they kind of want to do what they want to do. By that, I mean don't force them to do the techniques and do the style of sewing that you learned when you were growing up because it's really very different. And if they want to remake something, if they want threads hanging off of it, that's one of the biggest things that's changed in sewing. Um, the raw edge, raw edge applique. There's so many things today that are very popular that are raw edge. That people would have been gasping at um, 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> You know, I mean, oh, they would. In yeah. fact, I, I love to tell the story that probably it was 30 years ago that I was jurying into the uh, Embroidery Guild of America 
and it actually was with machine embroidery, and, and it was not just embroidery. It was different techniques and things. And one of the things I submitted was a Bloomin vest, which was very new at that time, where you would uh, stack five layers and then you would slash them okay. so there would be raw edges. And when I submitted that, I submitted some other things too, fortunately. But when I got the letter back to say that, yes, I had been accepted, however, it was a good thing that I had submitted something other than that vest that had all the strings hanging from it because <laughs> the finishing on it was atrocious. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, it was supposed to be that way. That was kind of the start of this whole raw edge look. And we've seen so much of it in ready-to-wear, too. That's the exciting thing. Right, yeah. But, uh, sewing and ready-to-wear, I guess that is the way it would be, but they have evolved, so to speak, together. And we see lots of raw edge and exposed surging and exposed stitches that inside-out clothes, you know, things that you would never have thought of doing in the quote-unquote old days when we sewed the right way, so to speak. <laughs> right. You never could win a 4-H competition with having uh, surging on the outside back 30 years ago. Yeah. Oh, that is true. <laughs> Actually, uh, you could, in some cases, 30 years ago, not win 4-H competition with surging on the inside because surging was not acceptable. Oh, Fortunately, so they today, were like French seams are completely enclosed. Um, yes, yeah. or hand finishing or Hong Kong finish, you know, uh, they, there just were other acceptable ways of doing it and a serger wasn't one. And, and I think we've seen a lot of changes like that in what people accept in their sewing. And the other thing that I always like to say right up front is there is no one right way in sewing. In other words, by that I mean there are people probably, I'm sure, still today, who would be very turned off by raw edge applique and raw edge and strings hanging off of things and and some of these new techniques. But that's great for them. If, if People should do what they, I always say, the right way to sew and quilt is the way that's right for you. And right. some people will do quicker techniques. Some people will do very um, original techniques that take a little longer time. Some people are a little fussier about the way things are finished. Others are not. And, of course, isn't that so much about life? Right. Accepting people for who they are and for the way that they express themselves and not necessarily trying to force our own views on them, saying they have to be perfect or they have to be like us. You know, you've made a lifelong commitment to sewing and, and made it into your career, and I think that's just really fascinating for those at home who, who love to sew. Um, to hear a little more about how you landed such a wonderful gig um, and made that your career. <laughs> well, I think that is what is truly exciting about something you love and something you do. And um, I was blessed with opportunities throughout my life. And I think they're there for everyone. You just sometimes have to take your take yourself back a little bit and peek through doors and maybe jump through doors that you're not as comfortable with. But take advantage of learning from others and of having someone mentor you in so many ways. When I was growing up, of course, people sewed because they had to, because they had to save money. And there wasn't, at the other thing, there wasn't a lot of stuff to buy. In other words, you couldn't, there's a lot of cute stuff out there to buy. And right. there's a lot of clothing today that's very reasonably priced. There's a lot of home goods and home deck items that are really darn cute and have embroidery and are really pretty. But the advantage of being able to sew it is that you have exactly what you want and you have the ownership and the delight in the process. To me, most people who quilt and sew today do it because they love to do it and they take joy in the process of actually making it right. as well as the process, uh, as well as wearing it. 
But when I was um, a youngster, my dad did the sewing at home. And you may have read this on our website. He actually, as a child, had his mother, we have his little hand cross-stitch thing. His mother taught him to cross-stitch, and his mother taught him to do needlepoint, and he sewed on her turtle sewing machine, and when he was a teenager, he made a glider out of wood, and he sewed 40-some yards of muslin into a skin for that glider and put it on the glider. This was in Park Ridge, Illinois, which would be near O'Hare Airport today, very near O'Hare Airport, where Bussy Highway, where they went to fly this glider with his dad pulling them uh, behind a car. So oh they hooked goodness. the glider up behind his dad's <laughs> car. Yeah. And um, the police came along and said, what are you boys doing? And they said, oh, my dad's pulling us. We're going to get my glider up in the air. And, the, and this is on a, like, bussy highway. And the, and the police said, okay, boys, well, be careful. I mean, can you see that today? <laughs> no, that would never happen today. <laughs> but, but as I was growing up, he had taken that same sewing machine and he had put a motor on it so that it went, it went one very fast speed. He was an electrician by trade. And so my mom said that she never sewed with that machine because it made her so nervous and it went so fast. And so daddy did all the sewing in our home. And he was he was quite an example in that he did all of our bedspreads and our drapes and he knew how to match things and he knew how to put them together and he would do our mending. And so he was our sewer. And one of the wonderful stories that I remember is when I was first married, my dad coming over to the house after work one day uh, with a Better Homes and Gardens sewing book in his hand, and I still have the book, and he said, I'm here to help you make your drapes, and Herb's mom had bought us material. She was also a sewer, and sewing had sustained their family during the Depression in America, where they were new immigrants from Germany, and his dad didn't have a job, and she was a sewer in a lingerie factory downtown Chicago. So sewing is a life skill that you really can win-win with. And so Grandma Hausman had given me the, the material, and Daddy came over to show me how to make the drapes, how to lay them out, how to, how to actually put them together and match the designs and the patterns in it. I do believe that we learn most of what we learn in life from the experiences we have and the experience of doing. Mm -hmm. And so as a 10-year-old, when I started in 4-H, I had been exposed some to sewing by our next-door neighbor, who was a fabulous sewer, and another lady on our road. And these, we lived in the country, and these folks wanted to teach, and unfortunately in those days it was pretty much a girl's thing to sew, but they wanted to teach the girls how to sew. Today, we see lots of little boys that love to sew, and one of my friends up in Canada said, you know, she tells little boys that they should really concentrate on sewing because boys that sew get their driver's licenses first because they know how to steer and they know how to use a foot control. <laughs> I think that's a pretty cute story. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is probably true, but in those days, we had this little 4-H club on our road, and... Um, so I made some 4-H projects. You know, the things we made in those days was a gathered skirt. And I remember the bandana print bought at the local uh, fabric store where there was a lady who was pretty funny, but she had all the fabric in, in the county probably. And we made a fringed <laughs> scarf to go with it. And then from there we evolved. And I actually did go to state with one of the shirtwaist dresses, waist dresses that I made. But there was another neighbor on the road who probably had the most influence in teaching me and in not necessarily teaching me, but inspiring me to the sewing skill and the fact that it was a life skill I wanted to attain. And she had four little children. And I went over and helped her. I loved children at the time. And I helped her every day, practically, walked over. And she would be sewing. Now, in the early days, this lady made everything by hand. Her name wow. was Carol Christensen. 
And she was my true sewing mentor. She finally got a sewing machine, and ultimately she got even a nicer sewing machine. And I actually have her first sewing machine. Her daughter called me and asked if I would like to have it just for the memory of it in my collection. And I said I would love it. So I learned from our neighbor ladies. And when I was 13, my dad realized that I was pretty serious about this. And I was loving sewing, and I was loving making clothes. And they didn't have a lot of money, but they would buy the fabric for me to make things. Little did they know what they were um, <laughs> they bought me all the fabrics I could sew. Little did they know what they were starting with that. You know, most people today call their fabric stashes a stash, but I call it collection because collections are meant to be enjoyed. Right. And right. Um, you don't have to do anything with your collection. I mean, you don't know stamp collectors that lick stamps and put them on envelopes and mail. You don't know spoon collectors that stir coffee with their spoons. So fabric collections are just like that. They're meant to be enjoyed. Rarely do I find a pattern worthy of something in the collection. Usually if I want to sew, I have to go out and buy fabric. But that's good. <laughs> so pretty funny. I've been in the process of organizing it all you because one of the American of sewing guilds. <laughs> you just made yeah. thousands of people kind of breathe a sigh of relief and be like, oh, it's okay. Sue says it's okay to yes. have all this fabric. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it's okay to take it out now and then and kind of refold it or put it in a different position. I've been going through things because one, well, because we're looking to relocate in my retirement and one of the American Sewing Guild next year has asked me to bring a presentation on how I organize my fabric stash. They call <laughs> so, it. You, so you, so you might want to start organizing now, kind of thing. <laughs> well, I had to get going, and Simon working really hard to go through. But back to when I was a teenager, I loved sewing, and Daddy went out and bought a quality, in those days, top of the line sewing machine, which straight stitched only. Can you believe that? And I know. it cost three hundred dollars in 1956 wow and so i'm so thankful he bought a quality machine that didn't frustrate me i think more people have been frustrated by credit machines or by by machines that are frustrating to work on than anything else in this world and now the machines are so incredible where they're computerized and even you can get into entry-level machines in the 500 or even $300 range that are computerized. So you don't have to do all the work anymore and drop in bobbins, things that make it so much easier. But uh, Daddy bought this machine and I took off with it. And then I met my husband and we were teenagers. Uh, he was actually a little older, but we were teenagers. And basically, I, my goal in life, I always say this about growing up, Today, of course, I think most young women have a huge goal, but 50 years ago, we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Well, 50, 55 years ago, um, it was pretty different. And my life goal, my career goal was to get married and and have children and raise a family and do a good job at it. That was my life goal. And so, and if I couldn't find anybody to marry me, then I was going to be a nurse or a teacher. But, <laughs> but basically, we were married young, and that's where my sewing skills really kicked in. Because, of course, in those days, we were really living from month to month or week to week on, on, our, on her salary. And I was working as, an, I remember, a nurse's aide in the delivery room for a dollar an hour, and I thought that was a pretty good job at the time. And so we really had to be frugal. And I made everything. And I remember one Christmas um, in November, our daughter was born, the 17th of November. And this was 1964. And I, my mother bought a whole bunch of cotton velveteen, and my sister came over. And we made red velveteen jumpers for me, my sister, her little girl who was six months old, our little girl from a chatty Kathy doll pattern because she was only a month old. We made reversible red cotton velvet vests for all the men in the family, the two daddies, 
and our three, our two little boys at that time. So we have had all these little matching red velvet outfits, and so on it went. I mean, my kids were just here for the weekend, and they were talking about all the matching outfits they had growing up. <laughs> that whenever we would take a trip, mom would make us traveling outfits, and they were usually red, white, and blue, and we would all match. And that we they had matching. We all had matching bathing suits. I would make bathing suits. And oh my goodness! I could get a bathing suit. For everybody in the family, including me, out of seven-eighths of a yard of wide-quality bathing suit fabric, red, white, and blue, or, you know, red, whatever it was. So you could always keep track of us on the beach. You and know, how many were there? Uh, so how many kids do you have? You have- we, have, we have four children. Okay. We have four children. Of course, they're all adults today. Right. And uh, three of them, our three sons are married, and we have 10 grandchildren, age wow. 2 to 25. 2 yeah. to 25. Wow. Two to twenty-five. Are you still making matching bathing suits for everybody? <laughs> for the- <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You know, I, but I'm thinking about making myself one because, boy, when you sew your bathing suit, it can it'll fit so much better. But um, with all those wonderful children and grandchildren, we just feel so blessed, and yeah. we have the opportunity to visit them. And every time we go there, we sew. They always have projects. Um, just yesterday, we were down in Columbus taking our little grandson Micah home, and I was making bow socks. Now you say, what are bow socks? Well, he plays the bass. And online, they found these um, padded sock long things to put your bow in that slides in behind the strings of the base, and then it goes in the case. Oh, yeah. And they were $40 online. So I went to buy the fabric, and I found this nice, like, header foam to put in them and a really cute print with bases on it. My daughter-in-law found that, which was fun. And so yesterday, I made 10 of them because he wants to sell them to make money. Uh. <laughs> I figured the cost to make one is $2, and online they're $40. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but we try to, try to do little fun projects uh, when we visit the grandkids and make make them a birthday dress. We still have some little ones that we make a birthday dress for their birthday, and so that's always really fun to do. But in our early years, I sewed clothing for us and home goods for us because I had to. And quilting was kind of in the, the great lost picture at that time because um, – it was not something that, that the world was doing. It had sort of dropped off. The 30s, the 40s, very strong in quilting. And, of course, earlier than that, there were a lot. There was lots of quilting going on in the 1800s. And, here again, I believe that that was a tremendous creative outlet for women who didn't have a lot of other opportunity to express themselves right. in the joy of handling the fabric and of cutting it into small pieces. Everybody says, what is quilting? You cut all this fabric up and then you sew it back together. But when you're sewing it back together, again, that process of the enjoyment of creating. And so my grandmother had been uh, quite a quilter, and I have her quilts. And um, But in the early days, I just I made, well, our first curtains, all of them, except that living room, were made from sheets that we got as wedding gifts. And I guess my biggest mistake was when I went to finally buy curtains for the kitchen, I bought fiberglass curtains. Now, you probably have never heard of that because you're a young lady. <laughs> young lady. But they were like sheer, and they had fiberglass in them. Oh, my goodness. And so I... I had to shorten them, and I didn't realize that this stuff would make me itch all over because oh. there was glass in them. Oh, good. So all the things we learn as we're making things, but um, we um, we had lots of clothing made from blue corduroy because my aunt gave me a bolt of blue corduroy. So every year, everybody had new blue corduroy outfits, and that's kind of the way sewing met its need. But the other thing I did in those days when the children were little was I was able to supplement the family income by sewing at home. In other words, by doing sewing for people. And I, I look back now and I think I used to hem 
trousers for women and men for a dollar. And skirts wow. I might have two dollars. <laughs> and we had a local um little dress shop that referred people to me and sometimes they would call me up. It was really close to our house and I would drive up there and I would fit the person or whatever and then I'd take it home and do it. And I also did some home decks for people too, you know, draperies and bedspreads and quilts and coverlets and things like that. So sewing life skill has served me well at every step of my life. But uh, as I evolved, I had the opportunity, I, I thought to myself, do I want to continue to sew for people for the rest of my life or would I like to teach them to sew because it's been such a joy for me? And so, again, I believe doors open and opportunities come. And I was blessed with the opportunity to teach adult education sewing at a local community college and a local high school. And this was fabulous. These folks were so excited to learn. I mean, they were my peers, but they didn't know how to sew. And what was very interesting about that was that we had uh, some meetings to plan curriculum. And my curriculum, curriculum included sewing with knits. It included a little quilting. It let them choose the pattern they wanted to make within reason. Mm-hmm. It let them choose the fabric they wanted to sew within reason. In other words, they weren't allowed to to pick a nap fabric or something with a pattern. But... And the other the other uh, adult education at this college were having them make a round neck jumper from just a regular like trigger cloth. And I was like, why would you make that? And they said, oh, it teaches them to put in a side zipper and it teaches them. But I found that if they got to make what they wanted to make, and then every week we'd have a focus on a different technique, a different type of sewing, like knit sewing, swimsuit sewing, different things that you could make. So... That was a wonderful experience for me. And then, as the children got older, I had the opportunity to take a part-time job. I should add that in the course of all that, I began selling Tupperware, which was great fun and was a great learning experience, too. Standing on my own, I was pretty young when I got married. I had never been out in the world. Um, I had led a pretty sheltered life, and Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go out and meet a lot of people, do a lot of presentations, and that was an, and selling and learning about selling. And that was a great experience for me as well. So again, I feel experiences throughout life really make us who we are and, and teach us. And if we're not happy with what we're experiencing, then my personal feeling is find something else because mm-hmm. if you're happy in what you're doing, it's going to help you grow to the next step. And so I, here I was now, uh, the kids were in school and I started working part time. Um, selling sewing machines, and I loved it, absolutely loved it, because in this particular location, which was in a big department store in Chicago, well, in a suburb of Chicago, I got to sit there in this little lease department and make things the whole day, because people would come up and say, what are you doing, what are you doing, and that would give me a chance to show them the sewing machine, and so I made their Halloween custom, I made all kinds of clothes, I made everything here in that job, and then as that all evolved, um, I went to work full-time, ultimately, and I worked quite a long time um, at a store in Highland Park, which was basically a sewing machine store, and then had the opportunity to go into a fabric store in um, Barrington, Illinois, which did not carry sewing machines necessarily, but I opened a little, well, the lady that owned it gave me the opportunity to open a little corner of her store and work on a percentage of the profit. It was a wonderful opportunity, and we did free classes every week, called them sew-ins, and people came in every week. And we tried to have one a month 
um, that was on machine quilting because machine quilting was just becoming something new and hot and exciting. And then we had one a month that was on something garment sewing and one a month that was on more of a crafty type thing that was more usually related to the time of year. Like Easter, we'd do fabric Easter baskets. And then we always did one a month on arts like applique, machine embroidery. Of course, in those days, machine embroidery was free motion. But right. those types of things, uh, you know, embellishment with yarn, and all that kind of thing. And I'll never forget the second week, we were on the same street as the local newspaper. And the somebody was walking by and said, what's going on in there? There's like 50 people crowded around the front of the window, you know, and around the sewing machine. And so they came in and took a picture, and I was teaching strip quilting. And so they put this picture on the third page, wonderful location of the paper. It said, Sue Hausman strips at Finn's. And the name of the store was Finn's. And so what, <laughs> what publicity that was, I'll tell you. Because people all came in and said, we want to see what you're doing out here. So that was a wonderful opportunity for me. And again, I learned a lot about quality fabric. And I learned about display from this lady. And I learned much more about sewing machines. And my belief is that nobody today needs a sewing machine. And yet my business for the last 27 years was selling sewing machines. So how can I say nobody needs a sewing machine if my business is selling sewing machines? Here's the thing. People want a sewing machine to do this fun stuff. They don't need it, but they want to have this hobby. They want to do this fun quilting. They want to have a new machine that is so much easier to use. They want to be able to touch a button. They want to do embroidery. They want to do this fabulous quilting. And so that really is what today is motivating people to make the, I call it an investment, because a top-of-the-line sewing machine today is in the five, six, eight, ten thousand dollar $10,000 range, depending on what model you choose. And so that's not a necessity purchase, because you can buy a machine to mend for a couple hundred dollars, a decent machine to mend. But bottom line, if you want to do it all and have the fun, and I'll never forget the gentleman that came up to me, and he said, um, you know, I see you sell these sun machines, and he said, and you're telling me that the quality is in this one that's at $400, that it has this good quality features and the no jam and the drop-in bobbin and the no oil and all those features. So why should I spend? My wife wants this one that's $6,000. What does she get? And I said, well, here's the thing. The more you spend, the more you get. But most importantly, the more you spend, the easier and the more fun it gets. That's really what I believe about buying a new sewing machine today. And I think the most important thing is that people need to find a store that will really support them and really give them their lessons. And I think you know that I'm coming to Michigan, and I'm going to Smith Owen Sewing mm-hmm. on Saturday, August 21st, which is coming up. And I'm really excited about that because I've known them for many, 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 many years, and they've always done such a fabulous job of caring for their customer, making sure they know how to use their machine, and helping them learn their new machine, and helping them learn new skills. And that's really what it's all about. And that's what it was all about in this store where I'm doing these free classes every week. Nobody could believe all these people were buying sewing machines. And the man from Viking came out a few years later. And he said, what are you doing here? You know, what, what is going on that all these people are, are buying new machines? And I said, oh, I've got to tell you. I said, they're not really, we're not forcing them to buy them. I said, they want them, they want them because they're going to have fun with them. And they want to do the new techniques and their old machines won't do it. Or they have an old machine that's really awful. And one thing I always made clear to these folks right off the bat was, I'm here to help you regardless of what kind of a sewing machine you have, Mm -hmm. regardless of how old it is. I'm going to help you the very best I can. But I'm also going to tell you that you probably would enjoy your sewing much, much more if you had one of the newer ease of operation machines. And so as it all happened, you know, people would buy the machines. So this man from Viking looked at me and he said, hey, he said, how would you like to come to work for us and travel all over the country and teach people 
in the stores, like the store owners, how to do these class programs and how to teach this new machine quilting and the new machine arts. And again, no machine embroidery yet by then. This was early 80s. So no machine embroidery yet in, on the machine. It was all free motion. And would you consider that? I looked at this man and I went, oh, oh my gosh, this is my dream job. Oh, I would love to do this travel. <laughs> I thought travel sounded extremely glamorous at the time. And little do I, or do I certainly know now that tra- you don't take the job like this because you love to travel. You, no, you, know, it's not- <laughs> you don't love the travel, but you, you love the job. You love the people. You love the consumers. You love the people that are so excited to have you come and share your joy of sewing with them and ideas and tips and techniques and projects and new things to make. And so I now know that you travel because you love the job. You don't travel because you love to travel. Right, because you're but not really I, seeing I look- much but the inside of these sewing stores, really. I mean, you're not like out on the beach um, doing a workshop. You know, <laughs> you're working. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is true. This is true. Now, now that we're retired, we're trying to take an extra day in between and not do them back-to-back and right. see a little more. But there hasn't been too successful because we're keeping pretty busy. But, but uh, this gentleman, I remember looking at him. His name was Bob. And I said, Bob, I said, you know, this sounds like my dream job. And it's something I think I would love to do. However, we still have a son at home. I said, our three oldest children are grown and gone. One's married and has a little girl, and we just love to be with them. And I said, and our two other kids are at college, but we still have a son at home, and he's 15 and a half. And the truth is, he does not need a mother, but he deserves one. And I have a husband at home, and the truth is, he does not deserve me, but he needs me. And, <laughs> and you know, it sounds like it's it's really a joke. It was meant to be a joke, and I tell jokes about people, and I don't mean to hurt their feelings. But in a way, it wasn't a joke because my husband was working so hard. He needed me at home to run the home for many, many years because he went to school nights for 12 years after we married. He was in the Army Reserves and went to that one night a week. And he was always working extra hours. And so the fact is, while he was going to school nights, while he was in the reserves, while he was working his job, putting food on the table for us and everything, I was at home manning the house, cutting the grass, you know, doing the bills and right. taking care of the taxes and making the food. And, and so I said, I really, I, I don't, her would, I, don't, I think he'd starve to death. I wouldn't want to leave him alone at home. You know, that would be really awful. And so I turned this job down. Well, about almost three years, two and a half years later, our life changed drastically. And I think this is the thing that I really would like to impact people with. And that is that our motto is life changes, life changes, and it happens so fast. And you can either accept it and move on with your life and decide that you're going to be happy and have a good life. Or you can be miserable because of the changes that have happened in your life. But I, I see so many people so sad because of changes. And so our new motto is life changes. And um, so two and a half years after this, it turned out that our oldest son called us. He lived nearby, went to our church. We saw them once a week, you know, had our only little grand- grandchild. And he said, Mom, I've been transferred to Seattle, you know, all the way across the country. And I'll be gone in a month. And he was. Now, I should point out that we lived on land my grandpa had bought in the 20s outside of Chicago. And it was very rural in the beginning. Now it's amazingly grown up and we no longer own it as of recently. But bottom line, it was our family heritage. And, and we thought each one of our kids, my mom and dad lived next door, we thought each one of our kids would come and take an acre and build a house around the pond. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It sounds wonderful. But it yeah. <laughs> but life doesn't work. But life doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, life doesn't work that way. And, you know, everybody has plans for your life, but it really doesn't matter 
what their plans are for your life. Right. And that's the thing that's very hard for some people to accept and hard for me to accept. I mean, truth is, I believe God's plan for my life is the direction I want to go, period. But in this day, I had a plan for all my kids' lives. There's no question. I was their mother, and I knew what was best for them. <laughs> but he moved to Seattle. Then our son called from, from Bethel College and said he had a job interview with a guy from San Jose, California. But not to worry, Mom, I'm not moving to San Jose. Well, you know what happens. <laughs> Off he went. He's from San Jose, California. And then our daughter called to say she was staying up in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and she loved it up there. And she's still there today. She moved to Kansas to teach there for a while, and she didn't like it as well. So she's still up in the Twin Cities. And then my folks walked over one night. Now, my grandma and grandpa, until they passed away, lived on this land. Now, my mom and dad lived next door to us. They walked over one night to tell us that they were going to sell their home next to us and retire to Arizona. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. They were leaving. They were deserting us. Well, then the corker, uh, not very much after that, the same son that we had came home, and he was now 17 and a half. He was a junior in high school, and he said, Mom and Dad, I've got enough credits to graduate this year. I'm not going to do my senior year. He says, I'm going to graduate this year, and I'm going to go to Arizona to college so I can be near Nanny and Papa, my folks. So, wow. Talk about. I felt like my life was over. My family was raised. This was my full-time job, you know? Right, I right. was pretty bad. And my husband, and I give him all the credit, he's a great guy. He looked at me. Because this, this man, you know, came from a, a various German background where women didn't work and women didn't have careers and women didn't, you know. He looked at me and he said, Sue, I really know you wanted to try that traveling job. He said, why don't we try it for a year and we'll see how it goes. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yes, I want you to try it. And so that was 1985, and I took the job as a traveling trainer for the company, and I traveled all over teaching how to do these classes and how to do programs and how to get people excited about sewing. And ultimately, that, of course, just gave them the desire to buy a new top-of-the-line sewing machine because they were having such a wonderful time sewing with the new techniques in the classes and things. And um, after a year, we looked at each other and said, hey, this was great. And he had not starved, by the way. Um, <laughs> at that time, he was doing a lot of those dinners that came on plates, you know, the TV kind. Oh, yeah. And he had, like, service for 150 of those TV dinner plates. But <laughs> ultimately, now, today, he is the chief cook and bottle, bottle washer. Now that I'm retired, he's, I, it really bothers him that I'm in his way in the kitchen and that I keep moving stuff around in his kitchen. So <laughs> we had that life change. The only thing I will say is that he did not ever do laundry. Um, you know, when he ran out of underwear, he just went to Kmart and bought more. So <laughs> that was probably a good thing. <laughs> but um, life is good. And the wonderful thing as this went forward and I grew with the company, I, you may or may not know, I, I started out as what they called a marketing specialist and right, I traveled. Right. And then a couple of years later, I was offered the job as the education manager on a community basis to Cleveland. And um, the president said, would you consider being here every other week? And I said, I would, but that wouldn't work. I want to come four days every week and really get this department going and write a manual and, you know, write the, the guidelines and get a good team going. And so I became the education manager. And as I would interview people, it was very interesting. Most of the people I would interview would be um, young women. And, of course, you're not, a, you're not allowed to ask how old they are. You're not allowed to ask if they have a family. You know, you're right. interviewing them for the job. And so... Once in a while, sometimes they would bring children's clothing. Cause they would bring things they had made. And I said, these are fabulous. Look at this sweet little outfit. I said, you know, who did you make this for? And they'd say, oh, this is for my daughter. And I'm looking at this little outfit. And then ultimately, 
many of them, not many of them, but more more than I can imagine would say, you know, I'm just not sure. This job was like 75% travel. They said, I'm just not sure I can do this job with my family. And I said, oh, you have a family. How old is your family? And I said, well, I have three little ones, you know, one, five, and three or something. And I'd go, oh, wow. So then I would ask if they would mind if I would step down from <laughs> being Sue Hausman, education manager, interviewing them. And if I could just speak as Sue Hausman, you know, the person. Mm-hmm. And I'd say... I really believe there's so much opportunity for women today. There's so much opportunity for women today. And I truly believe women today can have it all. They don't necessarily have to have it all at once. And in the case of people like that were that I was visiting with in this case, I would say, right now it would be fabulous for you to get a job at a local store teaching sewing or working in the industry, you know, in your local area. And then ultimately, you'd have that opportunity. I said, I'm going to just say this, but my gosh, those kids are going to be grown and gone before you know it. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe how fast they grow up. But I do believe that women today can have it all, and they don't necessarily have to have it all at once. For me, my first career was marriage, raising a family. Not that marriage isn't still there, but raising that family of children and working a lot in volunteer. I was a Girl Scout leader, a 4-H leader. You know, I worked Mm -hmm. in the church. I was the Sunday superintendent. I sang in the choir. I directed the children's choirs. You know, I did a lot of volunteer work that I believe were all um, ways for me to be learning skills that ultimately would put me into a management a career in business. And I, I'll never forget the first year I started with the company, um, a gentleman coming up to me and saying, do you really believe you have the skills to do this job? And I said, well, i got to tell you, I said, I've raised a family. I said, I've raised four children to adulthood and they've all made it. I said, uh, some, one, one career man asked me what I felt was my greatest accomplishment. And I said, well, I can tell you, honestly, I've stayed married to the same man for 30 years and now it's 50 years. <laughs> and I've raised, raised four children to adulthood and they all made it. And I said, that I considered, I said, you're probably looking for something in my career. But that was my first career. And then, wow. Sewing opened the door for me to have the opportunity to first be a marketing specialist, then to be an education manager, and then an education. Uh, I became, you know, ultimately, I moved up different titles along the way. And by the way, a lot of times these people I was interviewing would ask me, is there a future for me? Um, you know, is there a future in this company for me to move up? And I said, well, I said, I feel I'm an example of that. And I said, here's my, my challenge to you. I said, I would love it if you would work to get my job. Because if you get my job, then I get to move up. <laughs> and, many, and many of them did. And many of them did. Ultimately, as, as people progressed up the ladder, I progressed up the ladder. And my last job there was Executive Vice President of Consumer Motivation. And uh, as a responsibility for that, I had the TV show. One of the first things we did was to start um, the television program in 1990. Well, it actually, that was five years after I started with the company, but television, public television, and the opportunity to teach home arts, sewing, quilting, was relatively new at that time. And the company was, they call it underwriting, sponsoring uh, a couple of companies that, or a couple of people who were doing one quilting and one sewing, but really not for the starter-upper. And I said, I think there's a need for a show to teach people who want to start at the beginning and who not only want to start at the beginning, who want something other than what's called magazine format. And this is a toughie today because most TV 
will tell you you have to do magazine format. Magazine format means that you have five minutes of this project, ten minutes of this project, two minutes of this project, four minutes of that project. And when we started the show, that was really what, this was 1990-1991, and this is what they wanted us to do. And I said, no. I said, because when I'm watching a show like this, I don't want to just see something that I think is really cool, and I want to do this. I want to know how to do it. Right, and so I right. would like to do what I call class format on the show. In other words, we start at the start. We show, we show the inspiration, um, maybe talk about what brought the guests to this point, and then show the project, and then show what's needed to do the project, and then show step-by-step step on how to make the project so that the person turns the program off feeling like, wow, I really like that project, and I feel like I can do it, you know, and they go out and get the stuff and do it. So how much time did you have? Focus for your segments, how uh, much time? Have, well, you have about 23 minutes. That's okay. about what you have in the segment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, we devoted about 20 minutes, maybe a little bit less, like 18 minutes to the segment, to the main segment. And then we had the quick project. And we were only going to do the quick project. But actually, in the beginning, we were only going to do one series. And, of course, <laughs> of course, that was like 40 series ago. But basically... <laughs> Um, we thought, I thought, well, we teach people everything we knew in one series, but, uh, public television called and said that the show had been really well received and that if they, we would consider doing, um, in, in that particular year, it was 26 additional shows that year that it would give us a permanent time feed, which means is, I didn't, I said, is that a good thing? I didn't even know. But basically that means that every Sunday from 12 to 1230, America shows is fed to every public television station in the country. And so that happens year-round. Now, the show is now over. We're no longer doing the show. It was actually suspended by the company last year. So I'm not sure what all the future will bring. It may be something on the Internet. It may be something on television. We're, we've got a few things we're kind of working on right now. But I do believe that the sewing shows on TV are wonderful for people because they really let them see some great ideas, some great projects, and some great things to do. So that's sort of the history of my sewing, and, and I've had – the opportunity to work with so many fabulous people who have shared with me their joy of sewing, their best tips, their best techniques. That was the wonderful thing about being the host of the show. Everybody brought, and I believe that the um, magic or the success of the show was the fact that we had terrific guests. We had a new guest every week, and they brought their best project. And where did you find <laughs> your guests? So, well, in many cases, they were people from the industry that I met at Quilt Market or that I would see their project or that I would just meet them maybe in person at some sewing show because I go to a lot of the sewing shows around the country. Mm-hmm. And I would say, oh, I love that. Would you, you know, come on the show and present it? And so that's where we would get many of our guests. And you probably never imagined when you were a 10-year-old budding sewer um, that you would be hosting your own sewing show. Did you, I mean, did you see that coming, or was that quite oh, a... Abso- oh, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, the one other thing, I, and I'll, I'll add to that in a second, the one other thing I wanted to say about the show that was so fabulous, as I mentioned, we hired a lot of educators, a lot of people to come in and be traveling educational consultants to go around the country doing programs, the kind of program that I'm coming to, to the phone to do, and to do these programs. And so 
we wanted to build their skills. And so the wonderful part about the show is that they could come on as a guest or they could present the quick project. And that would not only allow them, first it would, it would encourage them to make the project and to do something really fun. It would have them write it up, which is another skill that you need to learn if you're going to really share the joy of sewing. And that is how to write up and share it through written materials and post it on the Internet or put it wherever. I'm sure you've been to the America's Host site where we have all of the shows for the last five series posted there with all the instructions and everything under projects and patterns on the America Sews site. Which is wonderful. But yeah. Yeah. And so they're all there. People can go there and, and just print them. We used to do a book, but we find that this way we can get the word out a lot easier to, to many, many more people by posting them free on the Internet. And they can just go to www.americasows.com. They can click on projects and patterns, and then they can download anything they want and print it or store it in their computer. And then I have more projects on the sewnquiltwithsue.com site, too. So lots of, um, lots of ideas. And, of course, the Internet is filled with wonderful sewing projects and ideas. There's no question. When I do a program for people and I talk about my history and how I got this job, in fact, one of them is called, How Did You Get This Job When I Knew You, You Were a Mommy? You know, what in the world ever qualified you to have a job like this? And, um, again, I... I allude that it was experience and things like that. But I always say, if you had told me like 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I mean, I started in this job when I was 44. And so if you had told me these years ago, no, I guess I was about 40 when I took the job, but, but I was sewing, I was selling sewing machines in the late 60s. So I've been in the industry a very long time. And if you'd have told me that ultimately I would be an executive vice president of a major sewing machine company, I would have a television show, I'd be traveling all over, I'd be spending at least a week a month in Sweden, which I did the last five years with the company, um, I would have told you you're crazy. <laughs> but I guess what I want to say about that is that it shows you the opportunities available to women today when they take the skills they have, they follow the mentors leading, and they really apply themselves. Uh, it, the opportunity is there. We just have to, to take advantage of it. I felt like when I hit 30, I finally had figured out, you know, what I wanted out of life, you know, and I've kind of been heading in that direction ever since. So I think by 40, I'm really, I'm only going to know more, you know, than I know now. And so I think hearing your story and for all the, the women out there listening to hear that, you know, you kind of really launched yourself at, age 40 into something that has been wildly successful and that so it's like 27 years later uh have you already have you officially retired from your from um working for the the sewing machine company are you or are you still working on a consulting basis no no i have a, i have officially retired i'm, I'm going to come back to what i'm doing today i want to add one thing to what you just said because it's so exciting to hear your story and hear what you just said and to to share that I put together a program, which is not exactly what we've just talked about, but it basically is the opportunities of life and the that life can be so, and I use the S-E-W, exciting, uh, or life is what you make it is really what I believe. And um, I've had, I put it together for women that were over 40. I mean, basically, I would say there's life, you can tell there is life after 40, and then I got 50. Oh, there is life after 50. Oh, there's life after, you know what, there were all these people in the audience in their 70s and 80s, and I said, okay, I want to hear, how many of you are going to tell us, and really tell us that there's life after 80, you know, and people would get excited about that. They would get excited, yeah, I can, I can, you know, because they'd be at these sewing events, right, they'd be so excited right. to be sewing, and, um, I, so that's why this program was kind of put together, but here's the amazing 
really heartwarming thing that has happened. Young women have come up after the program, and they were they have said to me, "I was meant to be here tonight to hear what you said. I went to college, I got my master's, I." You know, I'm married now. I have three children. She's, I really want to take some time off. I want to stay home. And usually it's their parents who paid for this education who, and who are so proud of them, and rightfully so. Right, but right. My, my parents are saying to me, but if you, if you leave your job now, you'll never get back into line. You'll never get into position. You'll never make it up to vice president again, or you'll never do this. And you're telling me that you started when you were 40. I think that for young women to hear what you're saying and understand that you rose to the top of a company that um, is substantial. I mean, this is not just some, you weren't making sewing machines in your garage and selling them and calling yourself the CEO of your company. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is pretty impressive. And I think that it, it is, but it's one of those things that's so hard though to let go. I thought about quitting my job my day job for 11 and a half years. <laughs> so, so, wow. it, so, you know, it was, it took me a long time to finally let go of that. But I think that one of the things that we all have to understand that if you're talented and you have your education, it's like money in the bank, because if you have a degree, it's money in the bank, because when you decide to come to re-enter the job force, if you want to work for a corporation or a company, you, that degree does not evaporate. You don't lose your intelligence. Caring for kids, you have to be, actually makes you smarter, because you have to be out, able to out, outsmart these young ones, you know, <laughs> and sometimes on very little That's sleep, true. you know, so it's... it's it, well, managing a house, managing a home, managing money that at home, that all helps you grow. I mean, oh, yeah. that all is learning. But I will say, you know, things have changed over the years. There is no question. And again, life changes. And you asked, am I still working for the company? Um, this was this was a total surprise. And I'm sure you know that there have been huge cutbacks by lots and lots of companies oh over gosh, the last yes. few years, last couple of years with all the economics of what's been going on. And so I was very surprised when the company um, actually worked toward closing the office in Ohio and I walked in one morning and they were they were laying off 88 people in the building and I was one of them and and it was a shock I mean I had no idea this was coming and it was a shock and here again I had a couple of hours to say okay are you well we were taping a tv show that week too so I had to stay up and I had to keep my people up because we always have all the people there to grow, right. to learn, and to put on the TV show. This is not something I did alone. I did this with the education department and all the people in the department. And I really had not planned to tell anyone that week, although, of course, it, the whole thing got out just immediately almost. But bottom line, I decided, am I going to sit here and feel sorry for myself, as you said, or am I going to pick up and, all right, I'm going to go freelance. I'm going to, and I was a consultant with the company until the end of last year because I was committed to do a lot of different outside events and programs and speaking engagements. And so I fulfilled all of those. And now this year, I've been totally freelance doing programs. And truthfully, we have as many or more programs than we would want to do. I, I don't mean it's the way it sounds. And no, we're having yeah. a great time doing it. But it, but I'm as busy as I've ever been. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm as busy or busier than I've ever been, and that's wonderful. The thing I love about this is that I'm out with the people, that I get to meet the sewers, the ones that watch the TV show, the ones right. that want the ideas, and that's fabulous. Because in the past, I was spending a lot of time behind a desk, a lot of time writing, preparing, working on new product development, things where I didn't get to actually meet the people face-to-face. So this way, I'm meeting the people, all the sewers and quilters face-to-face, and they're giving me, and, and we're sharing tons of ideas. They're giving me more ideas than I'm giving them, I really believe. But that allows me then to take them and pass them on to others. 
And so um, it was a fabulous first, well, end of last year, first part of this year. And the schedule, of course, is on So Unquote with Sue. We're going to take the first quarter, I think, next year. And um, we're going to Arizona because we're planning to relocate there. We're going to look for a house and get this house ready to sell. So we're not going to do quite as much next year. But I feel like we're going to come back full blast 2012. As long as the Lord's willing and our health is is willing, we are planning to continue to share the joy of sewing and the joy of quilting with anyone who wants to come to the programs and hear it. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're drawing quite a crowd wherever you end up, and I know that in Grand Rapids there's a lot of interest. What are you going to be highlighting when you're here? It's an all-day program, and um, what I'm going to be doing first is showing loads of projects that we've done on America Sews, but the most favorite ones. And so there will be some quilting. I'm going to teach the vintage quilt and the elegant quilt and show lots of different easy ways to do quilting. I'm going to talk about how to have success at your machine with needles, what kind of needles, what kind of threads, what, why does thread break, different techniques, what foot is the best to use and why is that the best foot to use for different techniques and things. And then I do have some garment sewing and we talk about piping as a detail and how to set it in. And so there's loads and loads of projects. Uh, in the first two, there's there's a one-hour program. Well, it's more than that. It's really from about 10 to 11.30. And then there's a, so there's three programs that day, and they're all different. And then lunch is served, and we do a sew-and-share during lunch because we want everyone who's coming that wants to to bring or wear something that they have made, and then we'll have them come up and we'll share it with everyone. And that's where I get tons of ideas for the future. But the last part of the day uh, really is talking about giving the gift of sewing. And we talk about the fact that sewing really offers such rewards, and we've already talked a little bit about that, but people who sew have great opportunity, number one, to to sew and quilt beautiful things that they can give as gifts. I mean, that, of course, is a given, Mm -hmm. and they're giving part of themselves, but they also can give this gift of sewing by teaching people to sew, youngsters, uh, you know, people that are in their lives, but there are many people that are peers that today will say, oh my gosh, you know how to sew. I wish I had learned to sew. Well, we have lots of projects that they can do. And so we have some specific projects for young people, and then we have some projects for people, older people, and middle everybody. There's projects for everybody. And then also I always talk about the fact that when you're thinking about giving the gift of sewing, be sure to save some time and give some of that gift to yourself and make some things for yourself, make some things for your home. So often... Uh, women in general, but sewers especially, are such giving people that they give away everything. And Mm -hmm. I want to encourage them to make some beautiful things for themselves and to stop apologizing for mistakes they make. So often a a sewer will say, oh, yeah, I did make this, but look at this crooked buttonhole or look at this. So we we address some of those things. And the main focus is that now's the time to enjoy life and that life changes fast and we want to be, you know, enjoying it every day with everybody we love. I'm curious about what kind of machine you sew on. Do you have multiple machines or do you have just one that you like to sew on? Well, I do have multiple machines. I have quite a few different brands of machines that I work on. However, uh, when I do these programs, and my, the one I'm working on currently is the Hushbarna Viking D- Designer Diamond, which is their top of the line. And that's the one I'll be demonstrating on at the program. And so people will get to see how to position embroideries, what kind of stabilizers are best to use, what threads give what effect. So those are some of the things, too, that I'll be showing. So lots of technique, but also lots of projects, because people like to see lots of projects. They like to find things that they can go home and make. And so we we bring, because that's the reason we drive. And my husband, Herb, is the, he's, he's my CEO, carry everything out. Um, (laughs) He, he, um, 
he's also the audiovisual man. And so we have a camera and he is at the camera all day long and he's shooting the camera close up on the technique, on the project, on the foot of the machine so that people even in the way back can see just how that seven millimeter, nine millimeter felt seam is sewn, you know, how it goes into the, how to put it into the foot, how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the kinds of things. So he's at the camera and uh, also shows the videos of bloopers. We have some blooper tape from America Sews that people enjoy seeing during the breaks. And uh, so we have a lot of, I hope we have a lot of fun. At least people have told us they've enjoy, really enjoyed coming to this event and had a great time and um, gone home with, well, they usually just tell me they're totally overwhelmed with ideas. <laughs> Your workshop is going to be very high-tech, multimedia, audiovisual. Uh, a sewing powerhouse is coming to town here. So I <laughs> think that's very exciting. And the other thing the other thing I want to emphasize is you don't have to have a top-of-the-line machine to do everything I show. Um, in other words, when I show something with embroidery, often I'll bring applique, which can be done on an entry-level machine that tells a straight skip and stitch in a zigzag. So there are projects, too, for people who don't have embroidery or a top-of-the-line machine. Well, and I want to talk to you about that because I know, I mean, I don't know, what is the diamond run now? I mean, how many, how, how expensive is a machine of that caliber, like a top of the you line? Know, uh, you know, I really can't speak to that, uh, but because the stores they determine um, price. have the retail pricing. Yeah, they have the retail pricing, but, you know, I, I can say that if you want a top, top of the line, that you, you're looking at probably $8,000, somewhere in there, $9,000. I, I mean, the store could tell you exactly. Okay. But the exciting news is that there are some machines under that that do a lot of those things and handle the big hoops. Um, you know, in the Viking line, there's the Topaz. But all the companies have some machines more in what I would call entry-level top-of-the-line. And it's really the, em- the, large the embroidery machines are the ones that are the more, if, the more embroidery you want to do, it sounds like the more expensive things get. Well, not necessarily, because no. you can get big embroidery down, you know, in the $4,000 range, depending on, it, it, you get a bigger screen. You know, as I said earlier, the, the key is, in my opinion, the more you spend, the more you get. And many times that might be more stitches, more ability, more ease of operation, but uh, but the more you spend, the more you get, and the easier it gets. So, just some different ideas yeah well and i think it's it's nice too that you're also telling people that they can sew with whatever machine they have because i think for a lot of people um especially in this economy they don't have four thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars to spend on a new machine and i know for me the only embroidery i do is old school like actually embroidering things myself (laughs) like i do it all by hand (laughs) which i really enjoy you know oh my gosh yeah and i like um and i like you know i i just tried out a new machine that had the button where you um push start and stop there's no you know you don't use the foot pedal and i realized I'm like wow i'm right. sewing, i'm sewing on like an old antique because all the new ones you know it's very nice for if you forget your foot pedal which happens to a lot of quilters they get to the, the b and realize they don't have their foot pedal now oh, it's not no. a problem now it's not a problem because you just hit right. start and stop on your machine but you know i know for me i'm I'm the type of person who likes to be very involved in my projects, you know, sweating it out with the free motion, you know, and I make whatever I have work. And um, it's it, it's kind of funny because some of these machines, I mean, they're so advanced that you can pretty much hit start, 
go make yourself a cup of coffee, come back, and you have this beautiful embroidery done. And I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. Right. But, but I know. Isn't but, that fabulous? But it's nice that, you know, for yeah. those of us who are old school, you know, you can um, still be very involved with your sewing. And But having, you know, the bobbins that go in without a wrestling match and screwdrivers and all that, I mean, it's wonderful to be able to quickly – change right. out your thread and keep going um, is very nice. But ha- how has that changed, though, for you? Because you've been sewing for a good long time. And I imagine, I, what was your first machine? Do you remember your first, do you still have it, your first machine? Oh, well, my, my first personal machine yeah. my, was this was a straight stitch, was the straight stitch, at a it was a Singer 301 that my dad bought at Marshall Fields for four hundred or $383 in 1956. Okay. And, um, that was really, I was working on our neighbor's machine up until then, pretty much. And I still have it. My dad actually sewed on it till he died and did mending and everything on it. So I do still have it. I don't sew on it. <laughs> um, and then from there, I graduated. Uh, you know, as, as things stepped up, my husband bought me a top-of-the-line singer in a cabinet. And I remember, this was, would have been in the 60s, early 60s, and... I cried on the way home from buying it because I said this was the most expensive thing that we had bought except for our house and our car and that we should have bought something for the family, that we could have bought a TV or something like that, Mm -hmm. and we bought a sewing machine. But he says he knows now that he made a really good investment here. (laughs) And what I didn't didn't tell you was he retired about 10 years after I started with the company because he was very ill. And um, so, again, we just feel life has blessed us in that we've had those opportunities to be able for him to retire at a time when he couldn't really keep working. And um, he had Crohn's, and it was very stress-related, and his job was very stressful. He was a project engineer in research and development. And now that he – and once he retired, it was like, amazing he's been fine so it's been exciting to see that happen and he now works with me and he, and I tell him that the reason he doesn't have any attacks now is that his new boss is so much less stressful <laughs> <laughs> yeah well how wonderful too for you both to be able to try because obviously you can't do workshops around the country without going around the country you know and no. to be able to go and have him go with well, you it's got to be wonderful I really too. would I need his help yeah I yeah. really need his help carries everything in he knows the answers. He knows that, you know, people have questions after the program. He can go up and ask, they can go up and ask him as well as me. Sometimes that I forget to say something during the program. And he'll he'll tell you. Me, Didn't you want to tell them that da 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 da, you know, and I'll go, yeah, you know. So, well, um, so yeah, what a wonderful experience. And you said you're, you just celebrated, was it your 50th wedding anniversary? Our 50th, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is so wonderful, especially in a day and age when um, relationships that last that long seem to be becoming, you know, especially if we look at the celebrities, you know. Um, yeah, so that's wonderful that um, you're a TV celebrity that's been married for 50 years. <laughs> I love it. Well, we tell people that the first 40 are the hardest. <laughs> ah, and then it gets easier after that, yeah. Well, that's really wonderful, right. and I think that um, the folks here in Grand Rapids are going to be very excited to hear from you. I don't know if you have any other general sewing tips or just anything you want to say to the the beginners out there? I would say first, um, obviously to sew today, you do need a sewing machine. And if you have a sewing machine that you're not enjoying or that you don't know how to use, it might be time to think about replacing it. But I would suggest that you definitely go to a sewing store, like a sewing machine dealership, rather than to buy it in a box at a big store because of the fact that when you go to a sewing store and you want to Ask them, do you teach lessons on this? Will you teach, you know, is that part, it should be part of the purchase that you can come back and take what they call, 
handbook lessons or guide lessons or lessons on learning the machine. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not going to teach you to sew. And I think a lot of sewers are very frustrated because they sit down and try to sew and they, they don't know how to thread the machine and they, it falls up underneath. I guess my one tip would be when you thread your sewing machine, put the presser foot down and pull the top thread. When the presser foot is up, and you should always thread with the presser foot up because then the tension discs are open mm-hmm. and the thread can get into the tension discs. But when you put the presser foot down and you tug the thread, it should be really hard to pull or shouldn't pull at all because the tension is engaged. Uh, too often people miss the tension, don't get it in the tension, and so when they put the presser foot down, the thread still pulls, there's no tension on the thread. When they start to sew, it looks okay from the top if it sews at all, but it's a huge ball of nested thread on the underside of the fabric. I think and we've right all away, seen that think, from time oh, to time. <laughs> they, they think there's something wrong with the, bo- with the bottom yeah. because it's on the underside of the fabric. But it's actually because there's no tension on the top, all that thread is shoving really fast down underneath and jamming up. So um, those are things that I don't think you learn on your own. I think you need to have those kinds of tips. And some machines come with videos that will give you that kind of tip. But I do think nothing, nothing today uh, takes the place of a human being teaching you how to use your sewing machine. And then once you've learned to use your sewing machine, there are park district classes, there's adult education classics, there's quilt classes. There's most, most sewing machine stores have learned to sew. Most fabric stores today have learned to sew classes. But best yet, find a friend who sews and ask them to mentor you and teach you how to make some basic things. Um, it, it's a, it's a, what should I say? It, it's a pretty easy skill once you get the basics. And um, what, the only thing, as I said earlier, when we started today, uh, I see young people not wanting to start from scratch. They want to buy something at a secondhand store and then, like, cut it up or cut the sleeves off or cut the hem off and not hem it. And, uh, okay, uh, you know, that's okay. And don't be too hard on yourself when you finish your first piece. Uh, as I said earlier, don't quit telling people what you did wrong because they aren't going to see it. My real motto is if you finish something and you're not happy with it and somebody admires it, give it to them. They'll love you for life. And now you have a perfect excuse to go buy more fabric and make another one. <laughs> but learning to sew can be a little overwhelming because of the fact that you have a lot of, you have to learn how to read a pattern, you have to learn how to buy fabric. One of my favorite stories is when my daughter-in-law was in a fabric store buying fabric for a Halloween costume, and she asked someone for help because she didn't know what buckram was. And the lady says, oh, you shouldn't even be sewing if you don't know what that is. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Don't be so unencouraging, you know. Um, But I think today there is a lot of help out there for people who want to learn to sew, and a lot of people. The American Sewing Guild also, they're really interested in helping people learn to sew. So I would say don't be afraid to go to a sewing program if you don't know how to sew. Come to the sewing program, seriously. There will be things there that you can make, even if you're not a sewer, for sure. And everybody has to start somewhere, so that's the thing too. That you got to start. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Don't be intimidated by the so. traditionalists out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. A lot of stuff you we wear today is really easy to make. But the truth is, maybe you don't want to make anything that anybody's going to wear. Maybe you're going to make table linens. Maybe you're going to make curtains, a valance for your kitchen. Or you just know, quilts. Uh, maybe you're going to do right. Maybe you're going to do more some of that type of thing instead. Yeah, so there's some, and that's the great part about it is there's a machine for everybody, and there's you know whether you're sewing with something you find at Goodwill that you fix up or a really fine machine that will pretty much um, 
make your coffee for you too. You know, um, you know, there's, yeah. there's something for everybody at all price points. And, and I think, and just thank you so much for all the, the effort you've put in and during your career to just kind of, oh, uh, you know, spread the it love is of my sewing. joy. Yeah. Well, sure. it definitely joy. comes through. That definitely comes through. And I wish you all the best as you continue to travel with Herb and, uh, Thank you. And what a pleasure to meet you by phone. And I so appreciate her willingness to share her story with us. I know as a young mom, I have wrestled many times with the whole concept of work and career. Hopefully that you're feeling a little more inspired to sew. I want to thank my sponsor for helping make this show possible. Thank you to Annie Pearl. And Annie Pearl, once again, is what happens When a girl obsessed with all things knitting combines her love of fabric and sewing with shiny things. And if you check out AnniePearl.Etsy.com, you're going to find stitch markers, project bags, and other tote bags that are made by a knitter with knitters in mind. And that's always great when things are being marketed toward us crafters, when somebody who actually crafts makes them. So it really, it does work a lot better. So thank you so much for your support this week. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming episode of CraftSanity.com, you can send a message to me or you can send a message to sponsors at CraftSanity.com. And we'd love to have you on board. I think especially if you have a indie business that you're starting or you might be out there and you want to get your name out there to listeners of a craft podcast, this is, could be a good fit for you. Uh, We can give you the details. We're pretty inexpensive, so it's pretty affordable. I'm going to do a little after show, so if you're interested in sticking around for that after the music plays, uh, you're more than welcome. And if you don't, as I always tell you, I will never know. So, you know, it's your prerogative. See how how bored you are, how much time you have in your day. (laughs) I will be back soon, headed out to Seattle, and I'm hoping to snag some, some fun interviews while I'm out there. Really looking forward to interviewing Megan from Not Martha the blog that was man she's been blogging you know a long time in fact i'm pretty sure that i made some glass magnets because of her (laughs) one of her earlier tutorials so i'm gonna be back soon in the meantime craft sanity my friends it works for me Okay, so welcome to the after show. I'm going to try to talk fast and get, keep going quickly here because I have a lot of I have packing to do. I have a few looms to make. And I have, oh, geez, I'll, I think I, I got to make an apron. I was not going to make a new apron for this Seattle trip. And my husband was kind of like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not going to make a new apron? Because <laughs> he's seen me stay up late the night before. You know, I'm doing road races and things where I really shouldn't be making a new apron. Like when it escapes logic for why I would actually be staying up. I mean, it's basically the equivalent of the gun going off at the, at the beginning of a, a race and me kind of hanging around to crochet for a while before I take off running. I put myself at a complete disadvantage because I stay up too late. You know, I drink, you know, I'll be drinking, uh, you know, caffeinated beverages to stay awake in order to finish said apron. It's totally insane. But he was kind of like, really? You're not going to you're not going to make a new apron for this trip. That seems kind of strange, you know? And so, and it's really funny because I didn't really think he cared that much about my aprons because, you know, Jeff is supportive, but he's not crafty. I mean, he's not like, you know, cheering me on with the apron making. And in fact, he's trying to usually say, Hey, maybe you want to go to sleep, you know, maybe sleep would be good, which I absolutely need this kind of reminder because, you know, it's not something I, I know to do on my own. You know, I'm always for going to sleep. But anyway, 
I'm going to try to finish an apron after this. And I'm really excited about going out to the conference for creative entrepreneurs that's out in Seattle this weekend. It starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, you can still get tickets. So uh, if you want, if you're, you can either Google conference for creative entrepreneurs or um, if you head over to craftsanity.com, I will have links to the site so you can get some ticket information. It's going to be fun. I mean, there's a lot of really cool people that are going to be there. So I'm excited to just be able to meet some of these people in person and hopefully snag a few interviews. I'm scheduled to interview Megan from Not Martha on Saturday, and this is going to be before a live audience. So please come, somebody, and watch this. <laughs> um, and I will be recording that with this new recording equipment, and I will not have my tech support with me. So not only will I talk about spinning plates, not only will I have to try to do my best to entertain whoever shows up to watch this, you know, and, and involve the audience in the interview, which is going to be a different, a slightly different format. I'm also going to have to make sure that I actually am recording, which is really hilarious because I started to tape an intro for this podcast and I got, I was, I was going real smooth and I'm like, wow, this is like a one take situation. This is awesome. And then I looked down and realized the little light was blinking and I actually had not hit record. <laughs> yeah, nice. But, you know, it's good to practice this at home because, you know, now is the time to screw up, not out in Washington. So, yeah, I think when the pressure's on, I hopefully will rise to the occasion. And uh, what an adventure, though. I'm going to be paper piecing on the plane. And I am actually, I actually had a dream that I had asked... I had kind of like stood up and asked, announced that I was making an art prize quilt and asked that anyone in the area that was a quilter or knew how to sew was willing to do some hand stitching in flight if they could maybe trade seats with people around me. And uh, I woke up and I thought, you know, I could totally see myself doing that. <laughs> I think asking people to change seats is going a bit far. And Well, actually standing up and making an announcement is pretty obnoxious as well, but you better believe it that if someone sees me stitching and asks about it, I will be doing what I can to uh, reel them in, involve them in the project. They will get their name on the wall of honor next to the quilt. Yeah, the quilt is um, basically, I have over a hundred hexagon blooms that I have, and these, for those who didn't hear about those before, these are, they're made out of men's neckties. I'm working with Safe Haven Ministries, a local, um, it's a domestic violence uh, shelter and an agency that really works to aid women and children that have been affected by domestic violence. They do some prevention stuff as well. It's not just all crisis handling, but administrators there ask for donations from prominent men in West Michigan to donate a tie. And so from these ties, I took those apart and put interfacing on the back. And I had some help taking some of them apart. Because, I mean, there are days when I spent like four or five hours taking ties apart, which seems crazy. But I think there's like one day I spent like like the entire afternoon taking ties apart. And thankfully, I did not have to do every single one myself. I, mean, I went to a couple um, stitch-ins where people, you know, were taking seam rippers to the ties, which helped so much. So this really is a community project. I could not have done this myself. And there's so much more work to do that I hope the people <laughs> that I have helping me with this don't, you know, stop speaking to me because they just have had it with the project. Um, but anyway, it's been really fun. And basically the status right now is I have a Skechers 
shoebox um, where my Abby's shoes came out of, and um, it's now filled with these hexagon blooms that, oh, and I kind of interrupted my description here. Okay, so the ties were taken apart, interfacing, put on the back, and then I took paper pieces from paperpieces.com, one of my favorite, favorite quilting suppliers. Love them. They are not a sponsor. I just truly, absolutely love them. Um, <laughs> and they were cool about helping me. They discounted the rate for me to get the pieces I needed for this project because I'm not going to make money off this. This is for charity. So um, they've been real cool about helping out in that regard. But anyway, I uh, have then been recruiting people to help me baste these three-inch squares of necktie fabric around these hexagon pieces. And then we're stitching, whip-stitching the pieces into a seven-hexagon uh, bloom. I'm calling them blooms. The piece is called Power Ties in Bloom. And basically, I literally deconstructed the power tie. And then I'm putting, to get, putting the pieces back together in a very feminine arrangement. Kind of intending to symbolize the whole men and women working together to end domestic violence and so yeah it's been um an amazing undertaking in the sense that um it's been overwhelming at times it's been wonderful at times i went last week and stitched with some people from heartside ministries in grand rapids and this is kind of a drop-in art um, gallery workspace area where people can come in and just you know people that you know they might be homeless they might be from the suburbs they might be i mean this people from the suburbs rarely come in um, it's usually people that have you know they have they may have some kind of challenge going on in their life and it's a great place for them to come in they get access to art supplies there's even like a pottery studio um, and it's just a wonderful place because people tend to like drive down division here in Grand Rapids with the windows rolled up or they avoid it completely. They're like scared to death to go down there. And I have to say that I've had some of the best conversations in this little art space. It's welcoming. It's friendly. It definitely will take people out of their comfort zone. I mean, if you, if you don't necessarily ever go downtown and you've never talked to somebody who might some kind of have some kind of issue or maybe they don't have a permanent address, um, it freaks people out a little bit. But I thought, you know, to really take this project and have it be authentic and have it be what I really was hoping that it would be, I literally wanted to stitch with people from all walks of life. And I have been kind of hell-bent on, on doing that. So I, I've stitched with people who, like me, have way more than we need. And, you know, I look around at my cluttered house and I'm thinking, how in the heck did I get this much stuff? You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, you know, then when you stitch with people who, who don't have a lot of stuff, and maybe they have to make art in this location because they don't have a bunch of stuff at home. And, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that, you know, the art is accessible. I have to say about Grand Rampas is that art is very accessible. Um, there are places people can go. If you don't have anything, you know, you can walk in the door at this, you know, heart side and they're going to give you paper and they're going to give you, you know, if you sketch something out or paint or whatever, and you get to make art doesn't matter what you have what you don't have and I really love that so I thought it was kind of cool to take these ties from powerful men and go to a place where people aren't used to having any power really in some cases their power has been taken away and in some cases they've surrendered it and in some cases they just don't get an opportunity to really you know have a say and so I thought it would be really fun to go down there and and have an experience where I try to include people that may not have heard about my project any other way so 
so yeah that was fun we had a small group of people did some stitching and I was so happy to have the help so when I left I left with some finished blooms and went home and continued to make more um, so that was really great so this project has been huge in the sense it's a huge commitment it's the biggest project I've ever done and honestly if you ask me like right now well, how do you think it's gonna look I have no idea <laughs> I didn't pick any of these fabrics and some of the ties are totally awesome the fabric is just like phenomenal it's like wow that was so fun to stitch with and some of the ties are not the most beautiful but you know I think it's gonna be kind of I mean that's the beautiful thing about quilting is that you can put some of the ugliest fabrics together and kind of transform them just by mixing them together and um, so I'm I'm excited to see how it looks and I really I'm working really hard because I want to be proud of this thing when it's done and I want I want a wealthy donor to come along and and put down a lot of money and you know so I can give that money to safe haven or donate the quilt and they sell it however that's going to come down I don't I, I don't know how that's going to come down but anyway I want it to be nice I want it to be really nice and I want this to bring in some money for this organization and um, help them continue to help women and children because it's unfortunate that we need to have charities like this um, you know and I do realize too that there are sometimes men who need these services as well so I don't want to exclude that fact from the discussion here uh, this particular charity in West Michigan focuses on women but I'm sure if there was a man in trouble that they would not shun the person in any way it's a it's just an important issue and it's something that fortunately I have not had to deal with in my personal life but the thing that's so scary about this is that you know we could be interacting with people who are living in fear of the person they're with and maybe not disclosing that fact so I just think it's a good practice to spread the word around that there are places to that you can get help and I'll have some links on the blog um, linking to some of those organizations so anyway yeah that's what I've been working on and it's taken um, it, my my year has been completely gone in a direction that I never imagined I've you know been off work um, well I not off work I've been continuously working but I left my day job as a as a newspaper reporter last July well July of 2009 and I had this big plan to like scale back and slow down and do all you know and what has happened is, you know, because I wasn't going to a day job, I was like then freed up to like throw myself into all kinds of other things. You know, I helped lead a Girl Scout troop and, you know, I've been doing this. Um, I did an apron show and then the, this project. And, you know, I did I did make some mistakes this year where I really overbooked myself. But I've learned so much. And even in these overwhelming moments where I'm looking at the calendar and thinking, OK, how in the heck am I going to be ready to put this quilt up? September 22nd. I mean, how is that even going to happen? Uh, I still need to find a long arm quilter that maybe we have someone, but maybe not. So, I mean, who knows? This could come down to the wire where I'm trying to quilt this thing on the machine. I mean, who knows? But while it seems a little insane, that's part of the beauty of it is that I don't really know how it's all going to shake out. And there's a lot about that that really I find exciting. I think that it's cool when you're having an adventure and you're not sure how it's going to shake out. Um, both my daughters have been involved with the project um, when I've been making kits where I take apart the ties and I count out the hexagon pieces. I actually delegated that to, you know, my daughters and they have helped out. Amelia, the youngest, the four-year-old especially, has really enjoyed, you know, she's like, okay, mom, it's time to work on the project, you know, and she, she's too small to sew. Like she, her stitches aren't uniform enough for this project, but she is perfectly able to help me make the kits and that's been really fun working with her on that so 
so yeah it's been kind of a crazy year since i left the press but um yeah and i'm still selling looms i'm approaching i think 300 online sa- like orders i've had a lot of those orders be multiple sales uh, multiple looms which has been really fun and i sold quite a few in person as well so i would consider that a success and i've made all of those looms myself um with the you know my frame maker makes the frame and then i pound in all those pegs so there's been a lot of work um that's gone into that and that's been really fun um yeah so as far as uh the conference this weekend i am going to host some kind of meetup and i'm trying to figure out like okay i don't know how many people are even going to be in town on thursday night so i'm thinking that if you're planning to go to the conference and you're hearing this podcast follow me on twitter it's craft sanity on twitter and there's a link from my website and there's actually just go to craftsanity.com and click the twitter button there and you'll be able to see what's going on with this uh my plan is to i think at the very least if something doesn't happen on thursday night if you come to my podcasting workshop on friday or you see me on saturday at the next workshop both those evenings you know i'm totally would love to get together and have an impromptu craft session with whoever can make it or go out for a bite to eat so yeah just if you have suggestions and you live in the area and you have some suggestions feel free to let me know and we'll see what we can arrange because like i said i would not be able to do this show i wouldn't have gotten invited to go to seattle if i didn't have just people that are so great who listen to what i have to say and it's humbling because it's not something that I ever envisioned. I've never been like in real life. I've never been like a real popular person. <laughs> like I'm always the person that is kind of going the other direction. Like the crowds go in one direction and I'm wearing an apron going the other way, maybe with tennis shoes and maybe running or swimming or whatever. I just always seem to be going the other direction. And um, it's really just, it's still amazing to me that people tune into the show and listen and follow it and have been so supportive and allowed me the opportunity to do something that I absolutely love to do. I I really love to interview people and find out why they do what they do and what inspires them and I mean it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing and it's fun. So thank you for that opportunity. I really do appreciate it. And because I have an apron to make and a bunch of other stuff to do, I'm going to really hope that this worked and it recorded and I don't have to do this again. And my apologies to my husband for going on so long. <laughs> so much for the short after show. So, okay, folks, if you have any questions, comments, or anything you'd like me to know, feel free to email me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. I always love to hear from you and hear what you're making um, because it's – crazy i talk into this microphone and i just have no idea who's listening out there and you guys have an unfair advantage you can go to my website and like see who i am and you know what my aprons look like (laughs) and i just really have no idea who you are so some of you i do know i've grown to to know some of you over the years and that's been really cool but yeah i always love to be able to connect um, a name with a blog post or comment and it's really fun so keep doing what you're doing i'll try to keep doing what i'm doing over here and uh yeah i'm gonna focus on getting packed for seattle i'll be back soon and like i said i'm really serious about ramping things up after art prize i'm gonna need to take a little bit of a break like maybe five or ten minutes sitting in a dark room with no sound at all and (laughs) just 
process what what's happened in the last you know little bit here but I think I'm the type of person that lets myself get caught up in things like I'll get swept away by projects but instead of like drowning in them I fish around and find a surfboard and be like woohoo and I have no idea like if I'm gonna crash into a wall or if I'm gonna you know really hang 10 and and do everything everything's gonna go smoothly but you know that's all part of the adventure and if you're too scared to try stuff or you think wow these people are crazy that do so much stuff and you don't do anything you know it's kind of the other extreme so my advice is always get out there throw a lot at the wall see what sticks and you know you're, you're probably gonna be better for it you might lose a little bit of hair along the way you might go prematurely gray <laughs> you might lose a lot of sleep but you know what I think all that's worth it and then again this could reaffirm the fact that I'm a little crazy but um, I'm having a lot of fun and thanks so much again to you folks for making all of this possible so otherwise I'd just be talking to myself so thanks for listening and I'm gonna get to work on that other stuff I mentioned All right, I'll see you later.